What's up, guys? This is Mike. This is Dave, and you're listening to the Mike and Dave Podcast. What's up, everybody? This is Mike, and welcome to episode 54 of the Mike and Dave Podcast, where we are going to break down the 2023 NFL draft. Uh, We're going to do our draft superlatives, just like we did last year. That was episode 28, if you wanted to check that out. We're going to run the same superlatives back, but with all new teams and players. Well, I guess same teams or candidates, but maybe we'll put new teams in those spots. For sure. What's up, everybody? This is Dave. And yeah, NFL draft never fails to disappoint. Um, I had a great time following along and seeing which players went where. It's always one of those fun times. It it never fails to disappoint. It's always disappointing. This is the life of a Falcons fan. (laughs) Uh, We didn't do too badly, but I don't want to spoil anything. So, yeah, I think we should go ahead and get right into the show. And it's my turn for Off the Top, this episode. So, obviously, the NBA playoffs are in full swing. And we've got some players who are making a difference on these playoff teams that may not have gotten a whole lot of run during the regular season, a.k.a. Lonnie Walker last night for the Lakers. What a fourth quarter performance from him. Uh, And that kind of inspired this question that I have for you. So it doesn't make a ton of logical sense, but I just want you to just roll with it, okay? Okay. So let's say that you're the GM of a team in the NBA, and you're in the playoffs, um, or you're about to head into the playoffs, and you have one roster spot open, and you don't really like any of your internal options. Nobody in the G League, nobody um, in two-way contracts or anything that you want to stack onto the end of the bench. You have to put, let's say that you, you pick one player that's currently not in the NBA to join your roster that you think could potentially make a difference in whatever way that would look like. Who would you choose and why? Great question. Okay, so I'm just going to go with the first name that came to my mind. And this only really applies if you need post-presence. I know that Dwight Howard can still provide quality minutes. I I know I knew, it. I knew you were about to say Dwight Howard. I know I knew it. it. <laughs> now, what, how many minutes? Not a whole lot. Should he be playing 35, 40 minutes a game? No, no. But do I believe that Dwight Howard can come in for 15, 20 minutes in a playoff game and provide an interior presence? Yeah. Yeah, I do. It, when you're that large, your presence on the interior will be felt technically. So yeah, I I can understand that one. And he and he is still playing professionally. Yeah, I mean he's in shape, you know, like to that effect. Let me um make the homerism real hard here. Joe Johnson could still get a bucket. <laughs> I'm gonna just say it. All right. <laughs> if you want everybody else to just have a break. Yeah. on your team and just give him the ball and let him operate for 23 seconds out of the shot clock. Here's yeah. Let's put Joe Johnson out there and then just like two wing defenders like Matisse Thibel and uh, Marcus smart or something. I, I know I'm pulling from different teams and then like Dwight Howard, just like 
I need two guys to get rebounds. I need two guys to play wing defense. And then Joe Johnson, you are the offense for, for eight minutes a game. Okay. Yeah. That, that satisfies my answer. Um, I was wondering if you were going to go with, um, with a guy who's like draft eligible and just take the loophole. Um, yep. I'll take Wimbenyama. Uh, <laughs> I'll take Scoot Henderson. No. Um, but yeah, I think Dwight Howard makes a lot of sense. But I was just thinking about who could come in and still do a job. Could Isaiah Thomas come in and still get a bucket? I wouldn't be surprised, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah, that'd be like a, I was, a younger version of the Joe Johnson argument. Mm-hmm. I was, uh, I was looking at some stats from like previous seasons a, a little while ago. And. I forgot that Isaiah Thomas averaged like 25 a game for the Celtics that one year. And I was just like, oh yeah, that freaking happened. What a legend. So that wraps up off the top for this episode. And when we come back, we're going to get into our NFL draft superlatives. So stick around for that. Okay, so now that the NFL draft is behind us, the dust has settled and we're able to kind of look and see where different players have landed and look at teams draft classes as well. Of course, that means it's time for NFL draft superlatives. And we're going to start with, I mean, it's no surprise, best draft class. So, Mike, who do you have as having the best draft class this year? So I was between two, and I'm just going to talk out my thoughts for these two teams and see which one I land on. First of all, there's the Seattle Seahawks. You, uh, you grab Devon Witherspoon with the fifth overall pick out of Illinois. Uh, instant starter at corner. Uh, not as good of a prospect, it seems, as Sauce Gardner. Not that that ever happens, really. But quite possibly the best corner in this draft uh, has the capacity to be an all-pro level corner for years to come. Love that pick. Then with the 20th pick, they get the best receiver in this draft in Jackson Smith and Jigba. And you got to love that because that's going to be their third their third receiver, so that facilitates his success because he doesn't have to come in and be the guy right away. He can uh, hang out behind Lockett and Metcalf. Um, Derek Hall, the edge rusher out of Auburn in the second round, as well as Zach Charbonnet, the running back out of UCLA, um, are good additions, neither of which have to produce right away, especially Charbonnet being that he'll be behind Kenneth Walker, so he gets an opportunity to start off as a change of pace type of back. And then um, they also get Kenny McIntosh, out of, uh, running back out of UGA, for basically the same purpose in the seventh round. Uh, so doing some uh, digging, taking a flyer on him. But then one of their biggest needs on that team was at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. And then around the fourth round, they pick up like between, I think the fourth and fifth round, they pick up four players on that at that line of scrimmage. They take Anthony Bradford, the guard out of LSU, and Olu Oluwatimi, the center from Michigan, uh, to bulk up their offensive line. And then they get Cameron Young, defensive tackle from Mississippi State, and Mike Morris, defensive end from Michigan, uh, to bulk up their defensive line. So. I'm I'm looking at like all the levels at which they improve their roster. Um, 
And these are all guys, and I don't know how much they're going to use Kenny McIntosh. I mean, it's a seventh round pick, but hey, we've been seeing, uh, I mean, look at Brock Purdy, for example. We've been seeing like these seventh round picks get chances here and there, like, and Kenny McIntosh is not bad, so we'll see. But these are all players that have a chance to come in and make a pretty quick impact for them right away. Not to mention that the high level uh, that they reach with those top two picks. So I'm looking at the Seahawks as one of them. For me, though, it's really hard to ignore the Houston Texans. And this one, they did have to trade a lot, you know. So this is a, uh, my analysis of this as a best draft class is looking at it solely from the perspective of this year. I'm not looking at, you know, implications for future drafts. But they stick with their second round pick, or sorry, their second overall pick and get C.J. Stroud. Uh, they blew smoke screens all over the place to make it seem like they weren't interested in him. Lo and behold, they grab him. That'll be their quarterback for day one, probably. Um, and then they turn around and make a blockbuster trade for the third overall pick, which they used to get Will Anderson Jr. So let's recap there real quick. They get who you and I thought to be potentially the best quarterback in this draft. I know you and I have had conversations about like, well, I'd take CJ Stroud, you know, I don't know where you landed on that, but I think our last conversation you were, but I think, I think I was a 51% to Bryce Young, 49% to CJ Stroud. Oh yeah, that's right. And then I was Mm -hmm. the inverse, but still, but I mean, but for me, it's, it's, it was by far those two guys. Um, so yeah, at that point also Bryce Young was already gone. So true. They picked the best quarterback available. And then they turn around and get the best player in the draft in Will Anderson, an immediate impact as an edge rusher. Next pick, Juice Scruggs, uh, center out of Penn State, uh, potential immediate starter. Then Tank Dell, the homer uh, receiver from Houston, um, looking like a a diet Jackson Smith and Jigba, which they get with the 69th overall pick. And then they add two more, like, I don't know that these guys can ever be star players, but I know for sure they can be starters. Dylan Horton out of TCU and Henry Toa Toa out of Alabama. Uh, these are these guys have fairly high floors given that they were picked in the fourth and fifth rounds. So I'm between those two teams. The Seahawks are definitely deeper, but it's hard for me to ignore... You get the quarterback, you get the best player in the draft right after it, and then you get a handful of potential starters. I'm going to go ahead and give it to the Texans on this one. Okay, yeah, I think it. if you're only looking at it from this draft class and you're not considering what else they gave up, if you get arguably the best player in the draft and then one of the top two quarterbacks, both fulfilling big needs, then you're going to be a winner regardless of even of what happens after that. And and I think that they did pick up a few players who now it's not too hard to make the, the Texans roster or their starting lineup right now, but I still think that they, they, they will, and they, they certainly could. So you have to give them credit for that. I had the Seahawks as one of my teams as well. Um, I mean, they had a great, one of the better draft classes that we've seen in a while last year, um, you know, Devon Weatherspoon and, Tariq Wollin on the outside. That's pretty intense right there. Um, so yeah, and of course, Smith and Jigba, the best receiver in the draft at, at 20. 
I, I know that they weren't necessarily expecting him to be there, but he jumps in, fulfills that slot receiver role. So Tyler Lockett and DK can be on the outside. That's pretty dangerous, especially if Geno can uh, replicate his production from last year. That's that's pretty crazy, to be honest. Um, so, so I did like the Seahawks. I'm going to talk about a couple of other teams that I had on here as well. Um, I think we've heard, I mean, we've heard a lot of the, the jokes about like Georgia North or whatever. Um, but the Philadelphia Eagles, I think ended up having a really good draft. I mean, Jalen Carter at nine, I think he's in a really good position to succeed. Um, but maybe a spoiler alert for a future, uh, a future superlative, but in terms of landing with a bunch of his Georgia teammates, previous Georgia teammates that were already drafted by the Eagles last year and gets to learn behind Fletcher Cox. Like there, it's pretty much the ideal landing spot for him. Um, so I'm sure that even though if he, if he hadn't been an idiot off the field, um, and just done like taking care of, of his business and maybe he would have gone in, in the first few picks, I think his fall to number nine is it was actually the best thing for, for him. Um, Nolan Smith at 31. I mean, this is a guy who was being talked about as potential pick for the Falcons at eight. If he wasn't injured, then I think he would have, he would have definitely gone ahead of this pick, but I mean, a great pass rusher rave reviews for his leadership and off the field stuff. Um, I think he's a guy who can come in and, you know, the Eagles, they really prioritize the, the trenches, you know, that their defensive line has been a standout for years. And their offensive line has as well. So it just makes sense they're continuing to retool, especially as a lot of their defensive line is getting older. Um, so again, Nolan Smith, he can learn from Hassan Reddick. He can learn from Brandon Graham. Like we're, we're seeing kind of a passing of the torch in, in a way with these guys. Um, they also got Keely Ringo, who, I mean, I think in the fourth round, definitely worth picking up with that the whole like first round hype for him that at the start of the season they everybody kind of figured out ah maybe he's not quite fluid enough maybe he's a little too grabby at times uh but his traits and his playmaking ability in the fourth round definitely worth picking up and then um sydney brown the safety out of illinois um only sad part is he is going to be separated from his twin brother now um, I think he got picked up by the Bengals or, or some, somebody like that, but, um, but he's a really, really solid player as well. So, you know, they're building up that defense even more. Um, and then Tanner McKee, I thought was an interesting flyer. Um, definitely a guy who is a different player from Jalen Hurts, definitely more of the pocket passer type. So I thought that was kind of an interesting pick, um, considering that their offense is not really geared towards that, but in terms of talent, I think he's definitely worth picking up at that spot. So I really liked the Eagles draft. I, I liked what they did. They they managed to kind of wait and then be able to to pick best player available in a lot of cases. So you always have to respect that. The other team that I wanted to mention is the Steelers. Um, I absolutely loved what the Steelers did in this draft. I think they, they picked up a few players who slid a little bit um, and they were patient and they just, they took them when it made sense. Um, Broderick Jones moving up in front of the jets to select Broderick Jones is 
probably the savviest move of the draft um, between the Steelers and the Patriots. Patriots get to deny the Jets the tackle that they wanted, um, and the Steelers get to move up and because they knew that the Jets were going to take them. So that's a super savvy move from the Steelers that you have to respect. And he was the last really good offensive tackle that was available. Um, so it makes a lot of sense. And the Steelers, we've been talking about their offensive line needing help. This was their number one need, in my opinion. So being able to get him was huge. And then Joey Porter Jr., this is a guy who I really wanted to go to the Steelers in the first round in our mock draft. They didn't even have to get him in the first round. They got him in the second round, which is crazy. Um, and they had a lot of teams, apparently, that wanted to trade up uh, for that first pick in the second round. And they ended up deciding to just take Joey Porter Jr. instead, which I think was a very good decision because I think he's easily like a 10-year starter in the NFL. So if you can get that guy in the second round and a potential difference maker, then you got to do that. Uh, and then moving on past them, I thought they they kept killing it. Keanu Benton out of Wisconsin, huge defensive tackle who will be able to, um, he's a nose tackle, he'll be able to go in there um, and learn from um, from Cam Hayward, which like in terms of a defensive tackle or, or defensive lineman goes, there's not too many guys out there who you'd want to learn from more than him. So I think that's a great landing spot, continuing to to shore up the trenches. Then Darnell Washington in the, in the third round. There was some first round buzz for him, and I can understand why. This dude is an absolute animal on the outside blocking. I mean, a, a freak of nature, um, freak athlete, brimming with potential and tools. So I'm really excited about about Darnell Washington in, in Pittsburgh. Um, I think he could, if if anything else, he's going to be a difference maker in the running game. And a threat running down the seams or in play action uh, just to start, but I think he's got a lot of potential. So I really liked him. And then the final one, Nick Herbig out of Wisconsin. I thought he he's undersized, but he's just, he's the, the type of guy who's going to give you 100% every play. And he's one of those guys who is going to find a way to make an impact and stick around, whether that's on special teams, whether that's, um, you know, a rotational guy. Um, I think, he makes a lot of sense and fits their scheme too. So yeah, I really loved this, what the Steelers did and and what the Eagles did. And then what, what you were talking about with the Seahawks, I liked them too. Um, I think I'm actually going to go with the Steelers uh, because I thought they just nailed every single pick. Um, and then, you know, they had a couple picks in the seventh round, which are good depth additions. But um, those top five picks, I think they nailed each one of them. But there were a, a, a good amount of contenders uh, for the best draft class. So I think a lot of teams ended up doing pretty well with with their drafts this year. Yeah, we were talking about it before we started recording, and there weren't a lot of teams that didn't do really well with this draft. Or another way to put it, there aren't, like, I guess it was harder to narrow down the best draft class and for kind of the opposite problem, it was hard to narrow down the worst draft class, at least for me. Like, usually we have a a team or two that we can pick on and be like, hi, you morons, what are you doing here? But like, Mm -hmm. there were picks here and there that we may not have agreed with, but by and large, it was just like well done across the board, Uh, which is way less critical than I'm used to being, but whatever. Um, But yeah, I definitely agree with 
everything you were saying there. Yeah, so many Georgia players on the Eagles. And of course, like then they trade for DeAndre Swift to just boost that up even more. Yeah, Georgia North, there it is. Um, yeah, and I loved what the Steelers did. Um, I was shocked that Joey Porter fell to the second round. But as soon as it started, I was like, it's got to be him, right? There's no way. There's just no yeah. way. If they if they're keeping the pick, it's got to be for him. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, for sure. So, I think for worst draft class, and um, I feel like also our default is to talk about a team that doesn't have as many picks, which we did this last year as well. It's one of those things where it's a numbers game too. If you don't have a whole bunch of picks then you've got to really nail the few selections that you do have. And one team that only had four selections was the Miami Dolphins. Now, they ended up getting pretty good players with the draft picks that they traded. Um, So, like, I guess you can factor that in a little bit. But they only had four selections, and I think only two of them are going to see the field and, and get any playing time. That's Cam Smith, corner out of South Carolina, um, who I think was actually a pretty decent pick, all things considered. Dolphins need a corner. Byron Jones, I don't know if he's actually ever going to play again, which is kind of sad. Um, But yeah, I think that's a decent pick in the second round. But the rest the rest of them, I don't know. What do you think? They got, they got Ryan Hayes tackle out of Michigan. What do you think about him? I think Ryan Hayes benefited from being well, how do I put this? Like, I'm not saying that he shouldn't be a pro or whatever, but like the Michigan offensive line has been the best in the country, but that's because mostly because of their work as a unit. And that stems from Olu Oluatimi. Uh I don't think Ryan Hayes in and of himself is like a blow you away kind of player. Uh, I don't think he technically let in any sacks, but like Michigan system doesn't really bank on our, our tackles holding blocks for all that long. So I don't really put too much stock into that. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Uh, I doubt he'll turn into a starter, but could be a decent backup. Uh, Devin a chain out of Texas A&M. Um, he's fast, (laughs) quick. Um, the, the Dolphins also re-signed like three of their running backs. Yeah. Um, I think they have Jeff Wilson Jr., Raheem Mostert. They still have Miles Gaskin. Like Now they're just adding another guy to the mix. I, I don't know. It, it seems almost like they weren't expecting him to be there when they picked, when they re-signed all those other running backs. But... We'll we'll see if 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 he ha- ends up seeing the light of day, but I don't know. It, it, when you only have four picks and you pick a running back as one of them, when you already have a bunch of running backs, to me that's that's a questionable move. Yeah, um, it's funny that like it's the Dolphins because last year when we did this, the Dolphins were in this spot for us for the same reason. So um, I guess I'll also talk about the Broncos. Uh, they only. Ha- walked away with five players, none of whom really, like, I don't know, 
do it for me. Like Marvin Mims, uh, the receiver out of Oklahoma is fine. Uh, Drew Sanders, the linebacker out of Arkansas towards the end of the second round also, or no, uh, beginning of the third round also fine. But like, I, I'm not looking at a single player on this roster that I'd be like genuinely excited about if I were a Broncos fan. Um, and so I guess if you only have five picks, I want one of them to like be a big, like, Oh wow. We got him. That's cool. Like sure. It's not a, a lot of players, but that's a lot of a guy, you know, and on this Ross or in this draft class from them, I'm just not seeing a whole lot of like, I mean, no shade at all. It's just, for the amount of players that you get, I'm not seeing a high enough quality of a player to be really excited about. There's not much to write home about if you're the Denver Broncos. Mm-hmm. I think Marvin Mims, uh, their first pick, I think there have been some trade rumors around their receivers, so this might be a preemptive strike, which makes sense. Um, but you also already have pretty good receivers, so... I don't know if Marvin Mims is going to be better than Jerry Judy or Sutton or anybody. So um, I can understand them trying to fill that need before it becomes a need type of thing. Drew Sanders, I do like. Um, He had, like, he's actually a pretty good pass rusher, even though he's an interior or inside linebacker, I should say. So I think he'll, he'll give them a few options. But again, they already have decent inside linebackers and Josie Jewell. And Alex Singleton. So to me, it's also not really a big need. Um, they're just kind of adding to a position of strength, which when you only have a few picks, kind of need to <laughs> go for the needs, um, in my opinion. So now I will say Riley Moss, um, the corner out of Iowa, I did like that pick. Um, I think that he could potentially see some playing time early on. Um, but again, like you said, there are only five selections Two, I, I don't mind a couple of them, but again, it's, it's hard to make a big impact. And if you're adding to positions that aren't needs right now, then maybe they know something we don't actually, they probably do know something we don't because, you know, they're actually the team and we're just speculating. But, um, but yeah, I, I think that they're, they're not one of the, the standout drafts um that's for sure the other one that i wanted to mention was the 49ers um they had quite a lot of picks but they didn't pick until the third round and it's hard to again make a big impact when that's the case so and i think we're going to talk about the 49ers pretty soon so i'm not going to go too far into it i think that they they had enough picks to where they don't necessarily get the worst draft class. I think they had a few good selections in there. I'm going to go with the Dolphins for for my worst draft class. Um, again, you only have four picks, and you know one of them I thought was decent. The rest questionable. So I'll go with that one. But again, I don't think any really any team did absolutely horribly. Um, so. I think last year that we had a few more options to choose from. We had stronger opinions. Oh yeah, for sure. I think I'm going to not talk much because I'm just going to lead you into where you want to go with this. Uh, the next one up 
for the superlatives is the least improved team, which last year was easier to parse out. This year, it by default kind of became like almost synonymous with the worst draft class. So because my worst draft class was the Broncos, but we'd like to change things up here, my uh, least improved team is going to be the Dolphins for all the reasons you mentioned. They walk away with all of four players, none of which address major needs. Cam Smith could be good. But um, yeah, uh, the Dolphins just didn't add a lot. Therefore, they weren't, they're not improving much. And I'll kick it to you because I'm sure you're going to talk about the 49ers now. I am. And like I just said, when you don't pick, when your first pick isn't until the towards the end of the third round, it's kind of hard to improve a whole lot because chances are you're not going to get too many starters um, out of selections that are that low. Um, they did pick pick up your guy, Jake Moody, kicker out of Michigan. It was in the third round, which is very high for a kicker. We, we've seen that type of thing happened before Roberto Aguayo, anybody Um, (laughs) poor guy, honestly. Um, But yeah, I think Jake Moody, one of the best kickers in college, if not the best showed that he could be clutch um, in big games, big leg on him. So I can see why the 49ers made it a priority, especially since Robbie gold is expressed that he wants to move on. So I, I, it does make sense, but again, it's a kicker in the third round. So it's kind of, you know, eh, I don't know about that one. Um, the rest of their picks, it's just, it's kind of hard to say. Uh, they they took a flyer on another Michigan guy, Ronnie Bell, in the seventh round. Man, we were, we were talking about this guy as like a potential difference maker a couple years ago. He got injured, just hasn't really looked the same since. Not uh, worth taking a flyer on the seventh round, I think, but still not really a difference maker. Uh, their top pick was Jair Brown, safety out of Penn State, who I do think is um, is a good player, but they have Hufanga and uh, Tayshawn Gibson Sr. already at safety. I don't see him starting, so maybe he's a contributor on special teams and that that's where he makes an impact. But I just don't really see looking at the rest of these selections. Um, I just don't really see anybody who's going to make a big difference. Robert Beal out of Georgia. I feel like every single player on that Georgia defense got drafted. Like, is there one player who didn't get drafted over the past like two seasons? Um, it's absolutely ridiculous, but yeah, I, I just don't really see too many difference makers. And part of that is because they didn't have any high picks. They're still, Feeling the effects of that Trey Lance, that that trade up pick for Trey Lance, which hilarious. It's just kind of hilarious now because they literally waited until the last pick in the draft to get Brock Purdy, and he looks like he might just be their quarterback out of the future. So, and they're um, apparently shopping or really trying to boost trade talks for Trey Lance anyway. Yeah, it's like we'd like two first round picks. Uh, we'd like, can we just replenish everything that we gave up? Uh, can we, like, ah. we want a mulligan we want to pretend this never happened yeah which I still think Trey Lance has a future I think I think he's he still has potential but I mean with what you saw from Brock Purdy and what we've seen in Shanahan's offense before like 
You just need a guy who's going to make good decisions with the football and have playmakers surrounding him. And that's exactly what they have. So yeah, I, I, I have the 49ers as my least improved. Not necessarily that they were bad picks, but no real difference makers. And really the only starter I see is their kicker. Yeah. And you know, I'm a, obviously a fan of Jake Moody may or may not come up later. Uh, but all right, so I'll save that in case it comes up again. The main one there that I would talk about otherwise is Ronnie Bell. Yeah, so he had that uh, ACL injury first game of not this past season, the season before. Spent the whole season recovering from it, and then this year, our offense was just different. Like, you know, uh, changed up at quarterback. Um, got even more intentional with the run game. Um, our passing scheme wasn't as Ronnie Bell friendly as it was players like Cornelius Johnson, Roman Wilson. Um, and so Ronnie Bell just didn't really fit, but Hey, like if that gives him a chance to like heal the ACL a little more, you know, take it easy. Uh, my point being that Ronnie Bell is like an ideal seventh round pick. Because he has the potential, the skill set, the toughness to really make an impact, but he doesn't have the resume to to justify picking him any higher than like sixth round. So I do like that pick um, in the seventh round. Um, otherwise, like, yeah, like you said, they're yeah spending a third rounder on a kicker. We'll see how that pans out, but instant starter. I guess we'll go to the opposite end of the spectrum then to go back into yeah. like the positives. Uh, I was about to say enough negativity. Let's let's get back into who did well here. Yeah. So best needs addressed is next, and um, it feels like a cop out, or it feels like cheating for me to just say the Seahawks because they were a candidate for my uh, best draft class. However. I didn't say that they were the best draft class. I picked the Texans. So I'm tempted to keep it short and sweet and go with them. And spoiler alert, I think they are just going to be my number one. But there is one other team that I want to talk about briefly that I felt like did well in this department. And that's the Green Bay Packers. I was pleasantly surprised to see, oh, it looks like they're just going to give Jordan Love this shot, right? And look at some of looking at, uh, well, first of all, they get Lucas Van Nest, um, edge out of Iowa with the 13th pick, um, who has an opportunity to be an impact type of player on defense for years to come if, if he lives up to that potential. But then their next three picks, they get Luke Musgrave, tight end out of Oregon State. Then they get Jaden Reed, the receiver from Michigan State. And then they get another tight end, Tucker Kraft from South Dakota State. They're leaning, they're giving... Jordan Love weapons. Uh, They're giving him a security type of tight end in Musgrave. They're giving him a receiver with big play capability. They're giving him another um, option at tight end. Um, I mean, Musgrave will start immediately. Tucker Craft could still see action in uh, certain types of sets. Then you go down. Colby Wooden, uh, linebacker out of Auburn. That dude's good. Um, He... He uh, could certainly see playing time. And then, I love this move. 
You get Sean Clifford, the quarterback out of Penn State. So it's like, all right, Jordan Love, you'll probably start. But here's some uh, here's some pressure behind you. And if Jordan Love doesn't work out, Clifford has potential. Uh, let him hang out in the system for a year. Uh, see what you have in, in him in practice. Like, I like that move uh, there. You take another receiver out of Virginia, Dontavian Wicks. <laughs> I... I can't say I love their kicker selection. I want to say he's missed like 12 field goals in the last year. Uh, Anders Carlson from Auburn. Um, they didn't reach, or they didn't grab him nearly as early as Jake Moody, but still don't, don't love it. But uh, th- looking at their early rounds, I feel like they did well to get players that can come in, make an impact and kind of fit the direction they're going this season. All that said, though, I don't think any of that outweighs how well I think the Seahawks did. So while I do respect what the Packers have going on, I am going to go Seahawks for best needs addressed. Thanks. You're you're just loving the Seahawks draft. Um, Respect for that. I'll touch on the Packers draft real quick. I did not have them as um, my best needs addressed, but I thought the Sean Clifford pick was interesting. I was surprised he got drafted, to be honest with you, with all the other quarterbacks that were available. Um, Maybe the Packers saw something that I did not. Clifford seemed more of a college quarterback to me than an NFL one, but, you know, shout out to him. Then Anders Carlson, yeah. Literally, ACL injury in 2021, season-ending shoulder injury in 2022. It's not ideal (laughs) from the kicker position to be getting injured (laughs) that much. So... Again, they've got to be. I mean, is this Mason Crosby's like? It's his nephew. Exit then. That's it. Like I, I don't know. I mean, Carlson's not bad, but when you, when you have two back to back seasons ending via an injury and you're a kicker, that's not really a great sign for your future prospects. So, I thought that was interesting. Um. Okay. So for. My best needs addressed. I'm actually going to talk about two teams that we have not talked about yet um, because I don't think that these teams necessarily like got great value per se, um, but I do think that they addressed their needs very, very well. I'll start with the one that I think is just coming in second for me, and that's the New York Giants. Um, they got Deontay Banks out of Maryland corner. Uh, just with their first pick in the first round. Really liked that. I think he's a difference maker. A lot of really good corners in this draft, and they were able to to snag one of them. And then they needed a center as well. John Michael Schmitz, arguably the best center in the draft. They got him towards the end of the second round, so you got to give them credit for that as well. Jalen Hyatt in the third round. They got a receiver who can stretch the field. Most of their receivers are these like small catch the ball underneath and try to create something after the catch guys Jalen Hyatt's going to be a real deep threat who can hopefully um along with Darius Slayton space the field a little bit more and provide another option for Daniel Jones so I do like that um and then Eric Gray running back out of out of Oklahoma I think he's going to be a, a decent backup running back for him um so I really liked that they went in and they addressed especially the receiver corner and center. Those were three glaring holes that they needed and were able to fill with their first three picks. 
a lot of times you see like, oh yeah, they addressed their need in the sixth round. The, <laughs> this guy's probably not going to start. I'm like, did they actually address it? But you could argue that Banks is one of the top corners in the draft. Schmitz is the best center, and Hyatt is in you know in the top five, six receivers or so. Uh, so considering that they got those with their first, second, and third picks, I think you've got to give them a lot of credit. And then the other team which I think have they've gotten a good amount of stick uh, for their selections. So the, the Detroit Lions. So I understand there's definitely a difference between, we talk about this a lot, there's a difference between getting value and there's and a difference between filling your needs. And I think what the Lions did really well is fill their needs, not necessarily <laughs> at the best value, but that's not what the superlative is. Retweet. In high school, you could have a guy who's like most likely most likely to succeed, and also you could have best dressed, and it's not necessarily the same. Or like I could have picked way better superlatives than that to, as <laughs> as choices, but you know what? You know what I'm trying to say. Anyways, so for the Lions, obviously Jameer Gibbs, twelfth overall. Absolutely no one saw that coming. That was one of those ones where you saw it come through, and you're like double take, <laughs> like wait, is this the the 12th pick of the second round <laughs> um, fall asleep for 24 hours. Yeah, exactly. However, it makes some sense. They knew Deandre Swift. They probably weren't going to keep him around. He's also had a bunch of injury issues. They were able to, to get some draft pick compensation by trading him and they don't have Jamal Williams anymore. So Jameer Gibbs, they were look, they are filling that running back need that they knew was going to be an issue for him. So, and Jameer Gibbs was the best running back available when it was their turn to, to select. So you got to give them credit for filling that need. Jack Campbell, inside linebacker out of Iowa. Also, shout out to this Iowa defense. <laughs> their offense was absolutely terrible. They got a bunch of guys drafted off of that defense. Yeah, um, their offense was literally Sam Laporta. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who I'm going to get to in a second. Uh, but yeah, Jack Campbell, the best inside linebacker in the draft, I think. And this is exactly, I don't, wait, is there any relation between him and Dan Campbell? Wait, conspiracy theory? Hadn't thought about this until now. Uh, no, but but for real though. Even if there he is, is, he's still the best linebacker prospect. Yeah, exactly. And like 18th overall might have been a little high, but I think he really fills the, the need in the, in the middle of their defense. A guy who's going to be a leader as a rookie, who's going to be able to communicate um, with the rest of it, of his defense, who's going to take that role. That's an important role to fill. Um, and again, I think he's, he's a guy who can play all three downs. I think he can rush the pass a little bit, good run defender and has the skill and the, the quickness to be able to, to play coverage as well. So I really liked that pick. And again, filling a need. Sam Laporta, obviously they traded TJ Hawkinson um, and ended up getting good draft comp pick compensation for that. Still was like, oh, TJ Hawkinson is a pretty good player. What are you doing? <laughs> well, they're replacing him with Sam Laporta, who, like you said, was the Iowa's, uh, Iowa Hawkeyes offense last year. Um, he's a guy who is a pretty good route runner from that tight end position, which you don't always see. Uh, good catching and traffic ability. Um, he's not a 
major threat as a blocker, but he definitely can do a job there um, at times. Just not necessarily your like prototypical blocking tight end. Um, and I think he he can come in and be productive and is obviously going to be their number one tight end right away. So I like that. Again, fill, filling a need. Brian Branch, safety out of Alabama. This one, um, they did sign a lot of corners in free agency. And they signed C.J. Gardner-Johnson as well. Um, but I think Brian Branch is so versatile that they'll be able to get him on the field. And uh, whether that's as like a slot or like a nickel corner, as a safety, as as kind of a, a rover type, like they're going to be they're going to be able to utilize his skill set. And they got him. This is like the first one where it's actually a, a value, I think, in the middle of the second round. And then Hendon Hooker. Quarterback, Jared Goff has been playing well, but you have to kind of look to the future as well. And in the third round, Hinden Hooker, it's definitely worth taking a flyer on him. Without that injury, I don't think he lasts this long at all. So the Lions kind of lucked out in that regard. So looking at at those positions, um, I think that they just did a really, really great job of filling needs and saying, you know what, I don't care what the traditional wisdom is for these things um we're just going to take the players that we like and that we know are going to be able to get playing time right away and we're we're not going to worry about somebody else taking it before our next selection because we're just going to go ahead and take them right here so you have to give them some credit for that so i am going to give the lions the superlative for best needs addressed you know i appreciate that because I actually talked myself out of the Lions, and it was what you said at the beginning that I think reigns the most true. It's different from value shopping. Even if the value doesn't line up, it's still addressing a need, and the value aspect or lack thereof is kind of what deterred me from listing them as best needs addressed because I was in my head like, well, yeah, but they could have technically done better to, you know, but... No, so I, needless to say, I love that. I was just going to say, and I feel like they've been getting a lot of hate for for their picks. And so I just wanted to give them a little bit of a shout out and be like, I see what y'all are doing and I respect it. Not only that, I also loved what the Giants did. Um, on the last episode, you know that I sung the praises of both Deontay Banks and John Michael Schmitz. So the fact that the Giants were able to get both of them, great. In addition to Jalen Hyde, I think he's a great fit for their offense. Um, he fills a specific like scheme need. So I mentioned value shopping, and that's actually our next superlative. So I'm going to go ahead and jump into the team that I thought did the best with this, and it's actually a team that you've already mentioned, and that's the Pittsburgh Steelers. So you saved me the trouble of having to talk too much about this team, but Going into the draft when they had, I think it was pick 17 originally. Uh, 16 or 17? I think it was 17. That sounds right. I think it was 17. So when we did our mock, we were like, okay, they're going to they're gonna go corner here. And if he's available, they're going to take Joey Porter. And, you know, of course, they trade up for Broderick Jones. You talked about that. But when that happened, I was like, ah, dang it. You know, like, well, first of all, I was like, that's a great player for them. But then I was like, damn, that means they're not going to get Joey Porter after all. But they just 
sit on their hands and he falls in their lap in the second round. That's value shopping. Uh, Keanu Benton and Darnell Washington going in the second and third rounds, respectively. Um, I think I actually, yeah, I picked Darnell Washington in our mock at the end, towards the end of the first round. Needless to say, I think he has that level of talent. Not to mention, with how bad the Steelers' offensive line is, you get a you get a tight end that can service as an offensive lineman that just happens to run routes sometimes, <laughs> and explosive routes at that. Like that is a great fit for them, just within the confines of being a tight end. And uh, Nick Herbig is uh, good as well from Wisconsin. Um, got to terrorize Michigan for two years. Uh, I mean. Thankfully, they were years where we were actually good, so I'll take it. But um, also, um, getting Corey Trice, uh, the corner out of Purdue, uh, super late in the draft. Um, it was either the sixth or seventh round. Um, seventh round. Seventh round. So and towards the back of the end of the seventh round as well. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's a. Um, he's got potential as a corner as well. Um, he's. He plays like a sort of diet Joey Porter Jr., which is kind of funny to me. But I think... Yeah, I mean, I was just going to say, like, he's 6'3", 206 as a corner. Yeah. Like, that's kind of crazy. But yeah, like you said, a lot of length, a lot of physicality. So basically, again, like like you said, diet Joey Porter Jr., <laughs> but in the seventh round. Yeah, and that's, that's smooth, you know, like... Um, and Pittsburgh, I think, is a great landing spot for him to develop as well. So I love that in addition to all the picks that you mentioned earlier. So the Steelers have to be the best value shopper for me, at least. Yep, <clears throat> I agree. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to pick their cross-state rivals, though, in the Eagles, just because I picked the Steelers as my best draft class. So I'm not going to do them for both. I already mentioned the Eagles draft class in pretty good detail, so I'm not going to go too much into it again here. But again, Jalen Carter at nine, probably a top three talent in the draft if they had fall to them. Nolan Smith, at, towards the end of the first round, definitely should have gone higher, in my opinion. Um, Tyler Steen, tackle out of Alabama, really, really solid player that they got in the third round that could potentially um, be a, a swing tackle for him. Um, Sydney Brown, safety out of Illinois, talked about him already in the third round. Ringo, Tanner McKee, like pretty much every single one of their picks. I thought the guy should have gone to higher, but he didn't. And then they just swooped in like an eagle uh, and got him. Anybody? Anybody? No? Okay. Um, so, so yeah. So I, I've got to take the, the Eagles as best value shopper for me. But obviously, I think that about the Steelers as well. Yeah, I think if you're if you're in Pennsylvania, you should be, and you're a fan of a local team, you should be happy about how the draft went. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's all of our team superlatives. Uh, we do have five player superlatives as well. So now we're gonna do the player that we think is most likely to succeed. Now, Dave and I were talking to about this a little bit before we started recording and we weren't telling each other our answers to these uh, superlatives, but we were just kind of talking about what the superlatives mean, the 
process of breaking it down all that and the one thing that i'll like you say to like i guess further define most likely to succeed because later we're going to have a best fantasy rookie um the best fantasy rookie is going to be more about who's going to come in and immediately produce as a fantasy option year one most likely to succeed doesn't necessarily have to be like we know at the end of their rookie year uh this could be like a few years down the road will they have a good career out of this instead of like you know like for example if if we pick a quarterback that's not going to start year one that doesn't or he and he doesn't end up starting year one that doesn't mean like oh he's a failure you know he might just be developing and and i and i'm not just saying that because i picked malik willis for this last year <laughs> yeah I, I think it's it's also just team fit as well of like yep this is a guy who's going to be put into a in a position to succeed and sometimes that means not playing a whole lot in your first year or sometimes it means taking your lumps and getting you know getting the really valuable experience and playing time on maybe a not so great team but that it'll help make you stronger you know um so yeah i I think that's a, a good distinction so most likely to succeed um I've got three players here that I'm deciding between. First of all, I've got Christian Gonzalez. I think him ending up on the Patriots is a almost an ideal fit for him. He's one of those guys, and I thought he was going to be picked a lot higher than he actually did. But with the Patriots' defense, um, they normally play single high coverages and it's one of those things where even if it's you know in a cover three in zone he's going to be able to break on the ball um, but also he can match in man-to-man the Patriots play a lot of that they're one of the foremost like multiple defenses switching up their alignments I think Gonzalez has the ability to play in any of those schemes and so I think that that along with the Patriots history of having good cornerbacks um, and being able to learn under Belichick makes a lot of sense. So I think he's a really good fit. Um, also a, at a position of need too. So that one makes a lot of sense. Um, Bijan Robinson, I think is a, is a pretty clear candidate for most likely to succeed. I mean, one of the best running back prospects we've seen in quite some time on the most running heavy team in the NFL with a pretty good run blocking offensive line. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, so I think he's going to come in and this is one of, of those things where I think, yes, he will be successful right away. He will also be successful long-term also because they have another running back in Tyler Algier who had a very good rookie season last year. It's not going to be all Bijan Robinson all the time, at least just running the football. So they'll they'll be able to have Algier to to spell him as well. So it also bodes well for him not getting too much wear and tear on his body right away because he's he has another option that can play behind him but still get a decent amount of touches in Algier. So I think Bijan has a, a great chance to succeed in Atlanta which is great. And then my last player 
this is kind of a joke, but also I'm completely serious. <laughs> it's Cody Mouch out of the, the offensive lineman out of North Dakota State. And the reason that I say this is because, number one, I think he's going to kick inside and play guard for the Buccaneers right away. Um, they had a big hole there, so I think it makes a lot of sense for him to to come in and um, and fill that role. So that's that's one thing. Second of all, the Buccaneers have had many many offensive linemen drafted from small schools that have ended up working out extremely well for them. And I feel like Mouch is just the next one in that that long line. And if history tells me anything, it's that the Buccaneers are extremely good at recognizing this talent in, at these small schools and being able to coach up these offensive linemen into stars. Um, and so it makes... For me, it makes a ton of sense for for him to go to the Buccaneers, and I think he has a very good chance of succeeding there. In terms of who I think is the best out of all of them, or like most likely to succeed, uh, I mean, I I want to go with Bijan. Um, I have a feeling that that Bijan's also on your list as well. Um. I don't know. I kind of want to go Cody Mouch though, because I think I've just talked myself into it. And I feel like that's one of those where I picked Tyler Lenderbaum last year. I feel like that's a pretty solid bet. And some of these offensive linemen, um, I think are, especially if they're going to the right teams are a pretty good bet, uh, to succeed like longer term. So um, I'm going to go with him, but with the, I guess with the note of, yeah, Bijan is like a very close second, arguably first, but I'm just going to go with Mouch because it's a little more of a, a niche thing. Okay. I like the the nod to Cody Mouch there. Um, so I was not going to talk about Bijan, at least not here. Um, but Christian Gonzalez is one of my three that I had. Um, of course, we both did three. And I, had him there for the same reason like start falling but what a place to fall to if you're a good corner new england wow um i was looking at jackson smith and jigba just because he doesn't have the pressure of being the number one option right away and can sort of ease into his role in seattle uh behind metcalf and tyler lockett and i think the skill set is absolutely there uh the dynamic playmaking ability is there but i'm too enticed by the pairing of josh allen and dalton kincaid the tight end out of utah especially since he gets to be paired with dawson knox to learn behind for a little bit um to take some of that um responsibility off his hands anyway not to mention he was already looked at as one of the better, if not the best, tight ends in this draft. Um, I think they're building, they've been building something big in Buffalo, and they just gave Josh Allen, who's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL and looks to be one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL for years, 
They just gave him a red zone threat. Uh, I love that pairing too much to pass up. So while I do like those other two that I mentioned, I think I'm going to go Dalton Kincaid on this one. Okay. Is it possible to change my answer to Bijan? Because I, I thought for sure you would take him if I didn't. But I feel like it's almost sacrilege if I don't say it as a Falcons fan. <laughs> and, I'm, and I actually like do think that he will be very successful. So I'm going to change mine with a nod to Cody Match as well. Um, how about like a first round guy and then a non-first round guy type of thing? I don't know. <laughs> I, I suppose I'll allow it. It is the Mike and okay. Dave podcast after all. Yeah, there, there's no tie-breaking vote. So um, it's either we both agree or I guess it doesn't happen. So thank you for agreeing. That's um, what I do. Let's, yeah. So we did most likely to succeed. Now we're going to get into least likely to, su- to succeed. A little bit back into the negativity here for a second. We haven't talked about this guy at all. We haven't mentioned his name. And it's kind of interesting because I think this is one of the biggest stories of the NFL draft this year. And that's Will Levis falling to the second round, getting picked up by the Titans. And we will have a biggest faller superlative a little bit later on. I think he might make an appearance there potentially. Uh, But in terms of least likely to succeed, the reason why I have Levis in here is not because I think that he's a bad player necessarily. I am concerned about him being on the Titans. And the reason for that is we saw, so you were talking about with Green Bay where they were loading up their uh, their wide receiver and tight end room to, to try to help out Jordan Love. Uh, we haven't really talked about the Panthers, but they signed Adam Thielen, DJ Chark. Uh, they drafted Mingo to at, at receiver as well. So they're, they're trying to get Bryce Young um, some weapons as well. We've seen in the past players or quarterbacks that have gone to teams that, where they don't have many good weapons. They don't have a good offensive line. It doesn't matter how good you are. You tend to struggle. Uh, Trevor Lawrence. His, his rookie season, he had nobody to throw to. His offensive line was absolutely terrible. And therefore, he was not good. They signed uh, all those receivers in free agency and shored up the offensive line a bit. All of a sudden, he had a great sophomore season. Like, it's really not that complicated. There's a big trend. And with the Titans, their offensive line is a shell of what it used to be their receiver room, a shell of what it used to be. It wasn't that long ago that they had A.J. Brown, Julio Jones, um, and, I mean, a somewhat broken version of Julio, but still. (laughs) And now they're relying on Traylon Burks to be their number one receiver when he really did not show much in year one. They don't really have much behind him. So not a great offensive line. Not too many weapons to work with. Like, yes, you have Derrick Henry, but, and so that should take some of the pressure off, but still, it's kind of tough. 
And so it's one of those things where I'm, I'm looking at his landing spot and I'm going, yes, the Titans needed a quarterback. Tannehill's getting older. His contract's going to run out. Malik Willis didn't show too much as a rookie, but he could still have potential. And so you also have, again, Malik Willis. He's still there. He was just drafted last year. So that's another guy you have to compete with. Not to mention Tannehill is still there too. So you've got a, a crowded quarterback room, a shell of an offensive line, and nobody, no, no, no pass catcher that's had any sort of sustained success in the NFL. To me, that it doesn't matter who you are, you're going to struggle to succeed in that landing spot. And so for that and that alone, not to mention the turnover questions um, that have followed Will Levis for for the past year, um, that that makes me think he's going to be the least likely to succeed. And maybe if he ends up getting traded to a new team or whatever, like that could change. But as of now, it's it's looking bleak. Yeah. Um, the whole draft was just, or, well, at least the first round of it was sad for Will Levis. And then I can't say that he should love his landing spot. His only hope, hopes, are A, being traded. Seems unlikely, given that no one cared enough to dra- uh, trade up to draft him. And B, hope to God that the Tennessee Titans put something together away from the quarterback position before they actually put you into it. Because uh, this construction of the Titans is not one that's conducive to young quarterback success. Um, Agreed. Not to mention, and I didn't even, I, f- I forgot to bring this up until just now. Anybody who puts mayo in their coffee is probably just not likely to succeed anyway. <laughs> so he's also not doing himself any favors off the field. Um, so I just wanted to mention that one more time because I still cannot believe that that guy puts mayo in his coffee. I was trying to forget, so thanks. Um, yeah, just pile, just just pile on. Why don't you? <laughs> hey, well, hey, that, that's my bad, man. It's fine. Well, I agree with what you said about Levis. I will pick someone else for mine. I have three for varying reasons, um, and I know who I'm going to go with. Um, number one. Okay, so I don't... Hmm, how do I put this? I don't think that Anthony Richardson is not going to succeed. But this whole time, this isn't a mystery. We've known that he's the high-ceiling prospect, um, but also the low-floor prospect. In the past several years, have the Colts shown that they can uh, facilitate success for a quarterback? Granted, their samples have been aging veterans and not exciting rookies, but... It's not like they had a lot of support around them either. Uh, And Anthony Richardson's play style might mess around and get him hurt. Uh, I I can very easily see a world in which the Anthony Richardson career story is not a happy one. But that's not saying that I think that's going to be the case. But I do want to just sort of put that uh anxiety out there i guess 
The second one, and this is the first one that came to my mind, Zach Harrison, because he's an edge rusher on the Falcons that was not picked in the top 10. And his, just like what you were saying about history with the Buccaneers with their small school uh, offensive linemen, history tells me that those uh, descriptors for Falcons players do not breed success. So based on that, I would be pleasantly surprised if Zach Harrison turns out to be, let's say, even a starting caliber player. (sighs) But my number one is actually someone that I thought you would bring up for most likely to succeed. Um, Jalen Carter. The, the, The fit on paper is golden for most likely to succeed. But he is the character concerned guy of this draft. And I don't trust him to not mess up, mess this up. I don't trust him to not do something stupid. I don't trust him to not drink and drive in the next two months. I don't trust him to not release a video of him doing something stupid. I don't trust him not to say some stupid things to the press every week. I don't trust him to make good decisions for himself. I think it's great that Nolan Smith is there. I think it's great that other Georgia players are there. I think it's great that veteran guys on that D-line exist there, like Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox. But I don't trust Jalen Carter. I don't trust him at all. So (laughs) I think Zach Harrison, of those three guys that I just said, is the safest for least likely to succeed. But he is a third-round pick. And what fun is that on this show? So my least likely to succeed is going to be banking on Jalen Carter to ruin his career for himself. I feel like this is an appropriate moment for for me to remind all of our uh, fantastic listeners that we don't actually wish uh, terrible careers on Will Levis or Jalen Carter. It's just we're just laying out facts. Um and I'll just leave it at that. Uh, so apologies to them. Like we we hope that honestly, I feel like with with these least likely to succeed uh, types of guys, I would like to be proven wrong. Like I would I would totally own up to to it if Will Levis comes out and is absolutely unbelievable, um, you know, or whatever. I would love to see Jalen Carter not make these these terrible mistakes but um yeah we'll see but i i can see where you're coming from for sure because it's one of those things you can be the most talented player in the world but if you don't have it makes me think honestly it makes me think of robert kimdichi uh who went to my high school one of the most athletically gifted prospects that you'll see Number one player in the nation coming out of high school goes to Ole Miss and just does not make the best decision, best off field decisions. Um, struggled to like bounce around the NFL. He's not playing anymore, and it's one of those things where you can have all the talent in the world, but if you don't have the right support system around you and you don't have the the best decision making ability, then you can just kind of ruin that. Um, all that potential. So I can see a world where, where that does happen. I hope it doesn't, but I can, I can see a world where it does. Yeah. And I'll just second what you were saying. Like these are expectations 
or predictions. They're not desires. I'm not hoping all this. I would love to be proven wrong. I would love to see Jalen Carter win the Walter Payton Man of the Year award. I don't see it happening. But but by all means, prove me wrong. I, I don't I'm not wishing like failure upon you, but you know, we have to fill the mm-hmm. we've been charged by ourselves with filling <laughs> these superlatives. So um yep. our next one's the biggest riser. And I only have one. There you go. Uh to make up for just having listed three at you. Uh he's been mentioned already, and that's Jake Moody. Kicker out of Michigan. Of course I was going to talk about him. Uh, he seemed like the only player on Michigan's roster that gave a damn against TCU. Uh, hit his career-long 59-yarder in that game. Uh, crazy. Uh, he was hitting game-winning kicks uh, over the past few seasons. Like, Dude is clutch. Dude is dependable. That's... And I... And I really, really felt that he would get drafted in the fifth round, uh, the third round, uh, the 99th pick. That that shocked me. But, A, he'll replace Robbie Gold, great, and B, it continues this trend that we've been seeing over the past uh, now three drafts, where in 2021, the Bengals drafted Evan McPherson in the fifth round. We saw the... Um, we saw the the benefits of that, the fruits of that, uh, the spoils, I guess, is the word I was looking for. And then last year, the Bounds, Bounds. And last year, the Browns drafted Cade York in the fourth round. And so this year, we get a third round kicker. Please, don't, don't give me a second round kicker. Actually, do. Give me a second round kicker next year. Who's, who's it going to be? Um, but I love that uh, ascension. We, we're putting an emphasis back on kickers, I guess, and I'm happy to see it with uh with my guy Jake Moody out of Michigan. Yeah, you know, p- kickers get a lot of stick, and I I will say one thing Pat McAfee has done um, is you know kind of change the or at least work to try to change the the mentality and the stereotype of what punters and kickers do and even just special teams in general it is a very important part of the game that i won't necessarily say it's an equal third to offense and defense but i will say if you don't have your special teams under control it can lose you the game and it can win you the game in certain situations so yeah it does make a lot of sense especially if you're the 49ers you know your longtime kicker robbie gold is leaving Go and get the best kicker that's available to you that you've that you've seen can be clutch that you can that you've seen can make big kicks and big moments. So I don't mind that at all. Um, it's just for me if you don't pick until the third round and you, one of your third round picks is a kicker, uh, I don't I don't know. But but yeah, I, he is definitely a big a very big riser. That's for sure. Um, I've got two guys. Um, two SEC guys as my biggest risers. Uh, I'd already talked about one of them in Jameer Gibbs. I mean, 12th overall. We, we were talking about maybe end of the first round. Um, former Georgia Tech transferred to Alabama, had a very good season there. 
uh, Alvin Kamara type of player. I think he could do very, very well in Detroit as long as he can stay healthy. But that one was just an absolute shock. That was that was the pick that I was absolutely shocked by in the draft. Um, Bijan Robinson going to the Falcons. I was I was surprised, but we had heard talk about it happening, and you know, with all of the hype surrounding him and people saying he's the best prospect in the draft in general and all that, like it doesn't surprise me as much. But 12 overall, I thought was super high. So that's one. I'm also going to say Stetson Bennett. He went in the fourth round to the Rams. And there was talk of Stetson Bennett not getting drafted at all. Um, he also did himself absolutely no favors this offseason as well. Public intoxication, you know, just not, not really conducting yourself like the type of guy who's taking the net, you know, moving up to the next level seriously kind of seemed like he was just doing a victory lap <laughs> instead of preparing for his next career move. The Rams didn't seem to care though. They took him in the fourth round. I don't mind it. Uh, I think Setson Bennett has the ability to be a, a solid quality backup or potentially even like a spot starter if you need him to kind of like a Chase Daniel type to come in always you know get paid a decent amount of money come in and do a job when you need him to um and make good situations with the football also very very dynamic runner of the football as well considering he's a smaller guy so i was surprised to see him go as high as he did i i was hoping he'd get drafted because i think he deserved it with his play but fourth round was higher than i expected however i think i am gonna have to go with jameer gibbs because that one was definitely the most surprising one to me. And I think it's kind of weird, but I almost, I think there's a scale to it going from end of the first round, top of the second round to 12th overall to me is a, actually a bigger rise than going from seventh round or sixth round to the fourth round. Um, just because the first round, is, there's just such a magnifying glass on it and everybody's trying to predict who's going to go where and nobody had Gibbs that high. So I'm going to go with that. Yeah, I think that makes sense why you went with Gibbs over over Stetson Bennett. I've been in such a weird position over the past like month, like outside of the podcast, having to become this Stetson Bennett defender uh, that I did. That's a role I didn't anticipate ever playing in my life. But since the championship, I've been hearing like a decent amount of like, oh, he shouldn't he shouldn't be drafted or uh, he's just a college player, you know? Oh, he's not that good. You know, all this. And I'm like, uh, you don't think he deserves a chance. Uh, are you kidding? Uh, I was so happy to see him get drafted. And frankly, I was like, Falcons, do you need like a, you know, like it's the type of pick that, you know, in the fourth, fifth round, I would not have complained about at all. In fact, I would have been like, okay, cool. You know, let's see what it is uh caleb williams is still exciting let's let's not uh let's not put the wool over our eyes too much over that one but but yeah and jameer gibbs like 12 is kind of insane so yeah i agree because that's obviously like when i was watching this okay i can't say it was the moment that like jolted my eyes open for me that moment was seeing the texans trade for the third pick 
I was like, yo, that's, that's crazy. Uh, but in terms of like an individual player selection, yeah, it's Jameer Gibbs. So yeah, I'm totally on board with that. Now to the other end of this, uh, we got the biggest faller and you mentioned Will Levis. Um, and I guess what you said about there being a scale to it, you know, like the 33rd overall pick still like fairly high in the grand scheme of things, but he was getting talked as like third, fourth pick. Uh, he was definitely a victim of the draft process where like he got hyped up and then like there was no substance to it or like at least none insofar as that it was going to lead to him being drafted in this project in this projected spot. Um, we kind of saw the same thing with uh, Malik Willis last year. Um, so obviously there's him. And then like for a similar reason, I thought about Joey Porter. I was like, okay, third best corner in the draft. He's probably going middle of the first round uh, to the Steelers. Uh, and then he uh, doesn't go until the second. But there are two guys that went in the fourth round. And they actually went back to back. And these were guys that I thought, like, late first, early second. Um, number one, um, we had um, Adebaware out of Northwestern. I thought someone would uh, shoot for him on the, uh, on the physicals, on the, on the freak potential way sooner than 110. Um, and then, similarly, I thought someone would do the same with Dewan Jones, the offensive tackle out of Ohio State. Like, I'm sorry that his name isn't Paris Johnson, but like, he's he just happened to be the other good offensive uh, offensive tackle from Ohio State and fourth round. That seemed kind of crazy to me. Like, he seems like he in the right system could be plug and play. Um, so shout out to the Browns for grabbing him, and then I guess to go back to Adebowale, the Colts for uh, taking a flyer on him. Um, yeah, these are two guys that I expected to go probably second round uh, that fell to like mid-fourth. Sorry, I guess to like pick one then. Um, mm -hmm. To pick one, I'll go out of Bawari. Because uh, we usually okay. see teams like jump at the guy that had the flashy combine. Yeah, for sure. I think that was one of those things where everybody's in the media's eyes got really big when they saw his 40 yard dash time come in at freaking four, four, nine at 282 pounds. Come on, man. That's ridiculous. Um, but I think potentially the fact that he's a tweener and you don't really know exactly where to play him. It's kind of difficult, um, but still great value. Joey Porter jr. Is definitely one for me that I'm looking at. I mean, again, we thought middle of the second round. It's not just the fact that he fell like 16, 17 spots. It's not the end of the world. It's how many corners went ahead of him. I guess Witherspoon, Christian Gonzalez, and then I thought it was Joey Porter Jr. He's probably the third best one. He'll probably go in the middle of the first round. Makes sense. Emmanuel Forbes is good. He went ahead of him. Deontay Banks is good. He went ahead of him. So I, and I'm just like, hmm, this is interesting. Uh, and then obviously he ends up getting picked up first pick of the second round. So that's definitely one that I'm looking at. Um, another one is, I mean, 
to the same team, the Steelers. Darnell Washington, end of the third round. I know, Mike, you projected him to go at the end of the first round. Um, I was thinking somewhere in the second would, like high second would, would take a flyer on him. There were a lot, kind of the same thing as Joey Porter Jr. There were a lot of tight ends picked before Darnell Washington was. Apparently there was some concern about like a former injury or something that dropped his stock a bit, but I'm not super concerned about it. Um, so I'm looking at him as well. And then obviously Will Levis, like that's probably the, like I said earlier, the big story of, of the draft or one of the big stories along with Will Anderson, uh, or the Texans trading back up to get him just because so much focus and rightfully so is put on the quarterbacks. We were like, Oh, the top four, could they go in the top four or five selections? And three of them did. And the other one waited and waited and waited until the next day to get picked. So that was, that was one where the fall was evident. The most evident, I think out of any other player. So it's kind of tough. Um, I'm going to rule out Darnell Washington because he didn't have a ton of production. I thought, Joey Porter Jr., Will Levis, both of those were definitely first round uh, bound and then ended up in the second round. I'll go Will Levis again um, just because a lot of people were thinking him at number four and getting picked at number four is a whole lot different than getting picked second in the second round. Uh, So yeah, I'm going to go with him. But again, a nod to Joey Porter Jr. as well for falling. Yeah, and I didn't even mention Darnell Washington, but yeah, uh, definitely a surprise seeing him fall that low as well. But yeah, Will Levis was 100% the big story there. Mm-hmm. Um, that brings us to our last superlative, and that's for you uh, fantasy football players out there. The best fantasy rookie going into this NFL season. I have two. Um, I'll just mention one for now. And then if you don't, if the other one isn't your guy, then I'll bring him back up afterwards. But this is where I waited to say Bijan Robinson. Uh, eighth pick, best running back prospect in the draft on the one of the most, if not the most, run-heavy teams with a run-based offensive line and a coach that wants to run the ball and a quarterback that needs to be eased into the offense. Um, B. John Robinson is going to be inhaling the football. <laughs> um, not to mention, he can uh, make plays with the off the handoff, off the toss, off the off the pass. Like we don't need to take him off the field for anything. Um, I mean. We'll probably factor Tower Algier into that as well. But uh Bijan Robinson has all the uh potential to be like an instant like upper echelon running back for fantasy purposes. He certainly does. When you were listing off things, I was like, check, 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 check. <laughs> um so yeah, obviously I have him on my list as well. I think he is the clear and obvious choice and probably will go in the first round of um of fantasy drafts next year. I know I would like to get him, uh, but I'm going to, I'll let you have that one, especially because I had him as most likely to succeed 
he'll go a, a different route. Um, obviously, Jameer Gibbs, I think he should have. He's electric. He should. He's one of those guys where if he touches the football, even if it's just 10 to 15 times a game, he could definitely take it to the house. Um, but I'm going to go with a different player. I'm going to go with a receiver who we actually haven't mentioned yet. It's Jordan Addison, who went to the Minnesota Vikings. And you were talking about Smith and Jigba uh, not having as much pressure on him because they have DK, Metcalf, and Tyler Lockett there already. I'm looking at, at him and saying, I don't know, they already have DK, Metcalf, and Tyler Lockett already. So it's kind of how many targets are actually going to be there for him. I think he'll still do fine, but I'm looking at Jordan Addison. They lost Adam Thielen. And Justin Jefferson is obviously still there. In my opinion, the best receiver in football. And we saw it more and more and more last season of him getting double teamed. Safety help over the top. Um, everybody shading over to his side of the field. Making it a lot harder for him to make plays. They still have uh, KJ Osborne, who is a fine third or fourth option. But you can't have him as your as your second receiver going into the season, in my opinion. Enter Jordan Addison, former Bolitnikoff Award winner at Pitt, transferred to USC, still balled out with Caleb Williams as his quarterback. Uh, very crisp route runner, suddenness, not necessarily the fastest guy in the world, but definitely a guy who knows how to get open. Um, I think he's going to be able to have a lot of targets. I mean, that... Vikings offense supported Jefferson and Thielen for a few years together. Uh, there's definitely enough uh, volume to go around to, to where I can see Addison being a decent, like growing into a potential wide receiver too, um, if not a solid flex option to, to start the season. Uh, I know they, they do want to run the football as well, but yeah, I just see Addison as entering into a very, very good situation where he can play off of Justin Jefferson uh, and feast on, you know, 1v1 looks. And hopefully, because, you know, I'm also a Vikings fan, hopefully fill that void that Adam Thielen has left and uh, make a big impact. So I'm going to go with Addison as my fantasy rookie. But of course, knowing that Robinson is my first choice. <laughs> I, I feel that for sure. Yeah. Um, Jackson Smith and Jigba, I think is going to be good long-term, but I wouldn't be in the biggest hurry to nab him, especially over Addison for, I mean, the reason the U.S. Um, and Jameer Gibbs was the other guy I had in mind. So, Yeah. Quentin Johnston, I feel like he could be pretty good as well. I'm just a little concerned because – you already have Mike Williams, and I feel like Mike Williams and Quentin Johnson are very similar type of player to where I don't know how many catches Quentin Johnson's going to have. He might catch three balls. It might be for 70 yards and a touchdown, but there will be plenty of games where I feel like he'll be inconsistent and will need to score touchdowns in order to, to accumulate points. So I thought about it, but I, I thought it was a little too risky. Um, I did want to shout out Zay Flowers as well. We haven't really talked about him or the Baltimore Ravens so far, but obviously they re-signed Lamar Jackson. 
freaking huge news there and have been surrounding him with some more weapons. They signed Odell. Rashad Bateman's coming back. Mark Andrews is returning. And then they draft Zay Flowers, who I think could make a pretty significant impact as well. It's just a really run-heavy offense. So um, I can definitely see his targets being more limited, especially also with Mark Andrews being their number one option. And then who knows about Odell? Maybe he comes back and is crazy. I don't know. Um, But yeah, I want to mention him too because I could see him potentially busting out. I think Addison has the best chance out of the receivers though. He's in the best situation. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. Well, it sounds like that's about going to do it for our 2023 NFL draft superlatives. Of course, let us know what you think. If there was a team that we didn't talk about enough as having a good or bad draft class or a player that um, is more or less likely to succeed than you think that we've said, uh, if you're feeling some type of way about anything that I just said, uh, let us know on social, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Mike and Dave Pod. But that's not even the whole show. Unlike a few episodes recently, we have more for you. We're going to come back in just a second with the hot seat and the fun facts. So stick around. Okay, so on the last episode, we did not have a hot seat. So... We're not going to do that twice in a row to you. So we're back with a new addition to the hot seat. We're in the midst of the NBA playoffs. At the time that we're recording this, and this is Tuesday, May 9th, the Heat are up three games to one against the Knicks. Things we love to see. Things you love to see. It is no secret (laughs) that we do not like the Knicks on the Mike and Dave podcast. At us. I don't care. Um, you know, why could it be that the, that the heat are up three to one? Um, well, according to Julius Randall himself, the heat just, they may want it more. I don't know. Things you love to hear from, I guess your star player, <laughs> the, the guy that's supposed to be <laughs> technically <laughs> speaking. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like the healthy food at a McDonald's, you know, it's like, I guess we can narrow it down to something, but like it's not saying a whole lot. Um, mm-hmm. For what it's worth, I agree with Julius Randle. The Heat do want it more. Um, top to bottom, everyone on the roster wants it more. Uh, and you don't have to wait until the, uh, the press conferences after the games to see this. Which team is diving for loose balls? It's the Heat. Which team is... Uh, scrapping for rebound it's the heat which team is committed to penetrating the paint and taking the contact it's the heat um which team looks more gassed at the end of the game the heat they in all facets care more about winning the series they care more about achieving something bigger the heat do want it more now while i would applaud julius's honesty that's not the shit you want to hear if you're a Knicks fan. Like, you want to hear about how bad the team wants it, not like, eh. Can you imagine being a Knicks fan? I'm just going to leave it there. No, can you imagine being a Knicks fan and <laughs> and hearing your, quote, star player, end quote, 
say that it's one thing to like to watch them get beat by a lower seed it's another thing for them to openly admit in a press conference yeah we just don't really care (laughs) as much as the other guys like i would i would have to to strongly reconsider my fandom if somebody on my on a team that I cheered for said something like that. I'm like, especially in professional sports, you're getting paid millions and millions and millions of dollars to play a freaking game in front of thousands of people. You're set for life. You're very talented. You're at the top of the world. And you just don't want it? When you play in New York in front of those freaking crazy fans and and at Madison Square Garden you met you're in the playoffs you you play all season you play your ass off all season to make the playoffs and you just feel like nope I maybe the the other team just wants it more than we do like it's almost indescribable of on in like incomprehensible of a statement that to hear something like that in the like in the in the middle of the playoffs it's like the series isn't even over but if the heat didn't already have an edge they're in their heads jimmy butler is living in julius randall's head right now it's already over the series is over i got i got more to say like this angle has been played out but rightfully so um so i'm gonna play to it too uh Julius Randle and and maybe like benefit of the doubt. Maybe he was trying to call out his teammates, which I mean that would be hot seat for a different reason. So we'll just say the Knicks. Okay. Maybe the Knicks don't care about winning the series or any individual game or whatever. You know who does care? The the parents who work hard to bring their kid to the this game that that kid will remember. They care about how well this team does. The literal thousands of people in the stands at Madison Square Garden, they care. Uh Spike Lee cares. <laughs> I don't really care about what Spike Lee wants. But the people in the stands, they care. And they're the reason that you make millions of dollars. Not not on an individual level, but if Madison Square Garden were empty, you wouldn't be making millions of dollars to play basketball. Like, are you kidding? And also, I'm brought back to uh remember like two years ago? When the Knicks made the playoffs, it was the year that the Hawks beat them. Ha! <laughs> and uh, oh, I, I remember it very well. Was like the NBA is so much better when the Knicks are good at basketball. Like the hell with that. The Knicks don't even care about being good at basketball. Let the Hawks be good. We at least want this shit. Like, come on. Yeah, it's it's inexcusable behavior. It's embarrassing, uh, and one hundred percent worthy of being the sole member of the hot not not even the sole member we'll just put the rest of the knicks on the hot seat too like yeah you can't have there must be stuff going on for julius Randle to to say that other than just you know in the moment after the game or whatever there's got to be other stuff going on behind the scenes who knows maybe tom thibodeau is just running them into the ground so much in practice that they just don't have enough energy for the game. I mean, there's got to be know. other stuff, you know, like locker room frustration. Um, 
Yeah. I'm going to make this a combo segment of this is both a hot seat and that's disrespectful because I do think that's very disrespectful to a, the fans and b the NBA uh, like viewer, mm-hmm. even like if you're not a next fan, like you want to at least see a competitive series. Um, yeah. I don't know what else is going on behind the scenes. And again, I'm trying to give Julius Randall the benefit of the doubt. Maybe like he's trying to call out other people, but Whatever way you slice it, it's a bad look for the Knicks organization. You remember who Julius Randle started playing with when he first got in the league? Like, oh, Kobe. Kobe. Kobe will be rolling around in his grave right now if he could have heard Julius Randle say that. Come on, man. Like... That's that's disrespectful to Kobe, who was like, as much as Kobe was, or could have been, a a mentor, or at least a role model to you, when you were first starting in the league. Look no further than Kobe to see somebody who wants it, right? It's, It's baffling. But I think all that aside, we should probably move on, because we're just going to keep beating a dead horse at this point. True. Well... What better way to move on from the dead horse to uh, something alive and well and fresh with Dave's fun fact? Exactly. All right. So um, if y'all remember, I don't remember how many episodes ago it was, but Mike had some pretty strong opinions about a certain pair of shoes uh, to close out the show and the mic drop. And, I'm going to move back to uh, to the shoe world for my fun fact. Um, so the year is 1971. Bill Bowerman is having breakfast with his wife one morning, Nike co-founder, when suddenly it dawned on him. You know what would make a great soul and mold for a running shoe the waffle iron that my wife is using to make me a waffle so he runs and then grabs um whatever material that he was using to make shoes uses the waffle iron and that was the first shoe that nike ever made if you look up um the waffle trainer which debuted in 1974 and you look at the bottom, it looks exactly like a like it has a little squares that are like the like a waffle iron makes. And that was the because he was looking to try to make a shoe that would be in between like sneakers and cleats. It's a shoe that would that would be able to to grip the surface a lot better without actually um, being a cleat. And that was his idea that he came up with. It just randomly came to him. And thus Nike was born. <laughs> and the rest is history. It's crazy that one little, one small like spark of inspiration like that can lead to one of the world's biggest companies. You know? Absolutely crazy. You know, I knew that they had like waffle trainers like in the name of like some of the shoes and everything but i never like 
bothered to like look into it any more than that. I was just like, oh, they're probably just like talking about it. It's like design on the, you know, whatever. That's cool. Yeah. And so the moral of the story is breakfast is the most important meal of the day. You might start a multi-billion dollar shoe company out of it. Exactly. Well, I have one more thing to say before we start to close out this episode. I want to go back to the heat and Nick's. I'm, I'm not done with Julia's rent. I'm kidding. Kind of. Um, <laughs> Somebody revive that horse. <laughs> Beat it some more. Um, PETA, stay off our backs. Uh <laughs> Right, to get a strongly worded letter in our Bring it inbox. On. The same ones that complained about the uh, was it the bullpen? Yeah, the bullpen throwback. Uh-huh. That was like one of our first episodes. Wow. Yeah, I remember uh, that. It's all coming back. Um, and and um, and instead of saying "kill two birds with one stone," it's "feed two birds with one scone." Are you for real? Uh, that should have yeah. been fun. That's what they were trying to promote. <laughs> kidding. But also, didn't know that. Huh. Um. Why would you waste a perfectly good scone on a couple of random birds? Is all I'm saying. Are they carrier pigeons? We can get the get the word out about the Mike and Dave podcast. That's our new advertising campaign. We're just gonna tie scrolls to pigeon feet. Whatever. Um. The thing I wanted to say was. Episode 51 of the Mike and Dave podcast, I think, needs an amendment, and here it is, uh, because in that episode, we um, updated our list of the top 25 players in the NBA, and when we were doing that, I said about my guy Jimmy Butler, he hasn't had any games this season where, uh, you know, because my thing with Jimmy has always been hey, on any given night, he can look like a like maybe even the best player in basketball, and then like other nights he looks like, you know, 20th or whatever. Um, and th- this season, he just really hadn't had any of those games. All of his best games were against like bad teams. And he didn't really have any like uh, standout performances that justified him being all that high. So we ranked him 16th. And then the playoffs started, and he's been – the best player in the playoffs, uh, if not the best one of them. Yeah. Like maybe, you know, like, yeah, he's up there. He's up there. Um, yeah. So given that, I mean, I know it's the playoffs, but still that's basketball and it's actually basketball when it matters most. Um, given that, given that he literally shut down the only thing preventing me from rating him higher. Uh, yeah, Jimmy is much higher than 16 to me um, at this point. I'm looking at players that are a few spots above him that I know that he's better than and can actually justify it now. Or, again, on the other end of the spectrum, I'm looking at Kawhi, who's good when he plays, but I think we've uh, forgiven him a little too much for inability, or for lack of availability. I'm looking at him being ranked ninth, and then Jimmy at 16, and then players like John Morant, Kyrie Irving, Donovan Mitchell in between them. Whenever we update our uh, top 25 again, I'm going to be making some cases. 
for sure. And I'm looking forward to that. It'll probably be before the season starts as kind of our version of a, you know, NBA primer for next season, which will be quite a ways away. But yeah, Jimmy Butler, I guess he was saving all those games for the playoffs. Um, I mean, the Heat barely made it in the playoffs and now we're almost assuredly going to make the conference finals. So you got to give a shout out to them. And also ironically, the Hawks beat the Heat. So they faced the Celtics and then the Heat ended up playing the Bucks. And I feel like the Hawks got a way worse <laughs> deal out of that. <laughs> so um, maybe the Heat knew something that we didn't. Either way, uh, I think that's probably going to wrap up this show. Um, I guess all that's left is for us to say thank you very much for listening to this prolonged episode of the Mike and Dave podcast. I swear, when you get us talking about the NFL draft, we can talk for freaking days. So appreciate that you're still, if you're hearing this, that you're still with us uh, and hope that you got a kick out of uh, our NFL draft recap and the superlatives that we gave out. Like Mike said, you can reach out and find us on social media at Mike and Dave pod. And as well as um, if you aren't already look down at whatever podcast, uh, you know, Spotify, Apple play, or Apple Podcasts, Google Play. If you're not already subscribed, hit subscribe. If you have not already left us a rating or review, please do so and make it five stars. You know you want to. Um, that just helps the podcast go out to more people and more people to see it, and we would greatly appreciate that. Um, we just do this for fun, but it would be cool if we had even more people listen. Um, so, yeah, we appreciate that very much. Loki, I feel like you didn't even need to include the whole the NFL draft part. You know, once you get us going, once you get us talking, we can just keep going. You know, it doesn't really matter what it is. Um, Wait, if that's the case, you know, it would be a really good idea if we did a podcast. This just got like really meta, <laughs> but because I mean, to that point, because we're a couple chatty lads that just love to talk and talk and hence created a podcast. Thank you for listening to said podcast. And we would appreciate if you liked, subscribed, five-star rated, shared, spread the news via your phone, your email, your carrier pigeon, whatever. Get the podcast out there so that even more people can listen to us blather on for hours and hours. But as always, this has been Mike. This has been Dave, and you've been listening to the Mike and Dave podcast. <laughs>